Welcome to episode 338 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. And this week, for the final episode of 2021, we are celebrating the best of 2021. A podcast episode dedicated to running down the top 21 albums of 2021. And it's a Gojira-free episode. I figured I'd get that out of the way up front because I undoubtedly know that it's somewhere on some social media platform. Someone's going to be like, how could you not include Gojira? They released the greatest album in the history of heavy metal. Well, that statement is subjective, but I just want to address this up front because I do have a couple albums on this list that I know people would be like, I can't believe you included that band over Gojira. Well, here's the deal. I like Gojira. They're a great band. I've seen them live a couple times. They're amazing live. They encompass everything great about metal, but just something about this album just didn't click for me the same way that it apparently did for every other human being on earth that loves heavy metal. I actually know a couple people who are diehard heavy metal fans that agreed with me on this, so I'm going to state their names here so you can also bitch at Kevin Graham and Luke Nagel. So anyway, at least they agreed with me back when it came out. This album has a song called Into the Storm on it, which is fucking fantastic. And it is definitely one of my top 21 songs of the year. But this album as a whole just didn't do much for me. And that's the thing you have to remember when you listen to this podcast. We're not here, I say we, I'm not here to, you know, get down to some kind of scientific method about what's what the best thing was. Because as we all know, when it comes to anything involving some form of art, the best is subjective, and it's basically just your fucking opinion. So here's my opinion. These 21 albums are just 21 albums I enjoyed more. That's the other thing with our podcast. It's not 21 heavy metal albums. It's not 21 hard rock albums. It's a mix of both. So if this had just been the top 21 heavy metal albums of the year, I know Gojira would be on the list. There'd be other albums on this list that didn't make the cut, like Spirit Box, which I thought was great. Um, Power Wolf. Trying to think of a few other metal albums that came out this this year that, you know, struck me. You know, Ginger was great, but that's, you know, they kind of fall in the same thing with Gojira with me. I mean, everybody loves them. They're cool, but it just doesn't hit me the same way, I guess. We've also got, man, Tetrarch, a new band that had a great album. We actually had a member of Tetrarch on here this year. Man, I'll go into more of that here in a bit, but the way this episode has always been done in the past, the first, uh, I guess, six years of it, am I counting right? 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Yes, the first six times that this episode has happened, it was me and Jason basically coming up with our personal lists and then combining them together in a weighted order, you know, so we'd... You know, half of our lists would fall off because we wouldn't have the same albums on it. But when it came down to it, usually our top five, you know, was pretty close. And we usually agreed on the top one or two. So it wasn't ever too far off of, you know, what we would personally think. But since Jason has now left the podcast, this is my first time doing this on my own. So basically you're getting Trent's 21 favorite albums of the year. Who knows? Will that be good or not? I don't know. But one thing I am going to point out is that 
as this, you know, we started with 15, but as, you know, the years started climbing and we went from the top 15 of 2015 up to the top 20 of 2020, Jason is not a big fan of long lists. And I'm not breaking any news here. He made that known on the last couple of times we did this. So, you know, here we are in year 2021. So he'd be even more annoyed, you know, that we were doing this. And, and I get it. You know, when you have a list that's like the top 10 or whatever, top five or top 10, you're really pinpointing the best of the best, in your opinion. But I've always, I love the fact, especially with the podcast, because, you know, we're talking here, tagging artists on social media, whatever. It, and it, you know, if I say top 10 or I say top 21, with the top 21, you get 11 more albums that, hey, maybe... It brings attention. Maybe there's one person out there that hasn't heard, you know, the 18th album on the list here, and this turns them on to it. Then, hey, my work here is done, right? But also, I'm going to do something that maybe Jason will probably listen to this, and maybe he'll be annoyed, but I'm just going to discuss the top 11 albums. I think since it's just me here, if I'm just going to sit here and ramble on about 21 albums, that could get kind of tedious and boring. At least when me and Jason are doing it together, we could bounce off each other. A little more interesting. So I'm going to save you that. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, you can see right here, anywhere that you see this podcast, the list of the 21 albums. Numbers 12 through 21 will be listed there. I'm going to run down them and I'm going to like maybe mention a short comment or two about each one. And then when I get into the top 11 of 2021, then I will start talking slightly more, I think. But as usual, every year, kind of discuss, you know, some other stuff that came out. And, you know, me and Jason always kind of had a little thing we'd do where we would talk about the uh, our favorite non-hard rock or metal albums that came out. And this year, I am going to admit up front here, before I get too deep into this, my research on this episode is way lacking compared to the previous years. And I kind of mentioned this last week. I mean, I wasn't as pumped about doing this episode since I'm sitting here doing it by myself. You know, woe is me, big deal. But so I just, I guess the passion for the the top albums of the year wasn't there as much as it has been the previous years. And that's no knock on the music. I mean, 2021 is another great year for for rock and metal, in my opinion. Do I think it's as strong as the last two or three years? Probably not. But it, it was undoubtedly strong. And, I mean, I could have easily made a top 50 list with, you know, 29 more albums that I thought were good. And And that's the other thing. When I make these long lists, I'm always amazed when I see, you know, whether it be... Uh, music website, or just person, you know, like, for instance, a friend of this podcast, Trevor, Trevor Tree, he has been on this podcast before, follow him on Instagram, he's got some great videos playing the drums, he released his top 50 albums of the year on Instagram I saw recently, so I'm always, you know, amazed when people can sit down and really put that into order, because, you know, once you get past 15, I think you're 15 to 20, you're kind of just like throwing something in an order. I don't know. You know, it's like, can you really say that this album should be 33 and this album should be 35? I don't know. But 
that's kind of irrelevant to what we're doing here. But I, I do want to say a few albums real quick that I actually had on the first draft of my list, and then I ended up changing it. And there are also a few that I thought I undoubtedly, I even probably made a comment at some point during this year that they would be on the list. And then I'm also surprised they're not on the list because of who they are. First one being D. Snyder's album. It was really good, but as kind of the year went on, it didn't stick with me the same way his first, well, it wasn't his first solo album, but his first album with, that he did with Josta two years ago, three years ago now, was number, I think it was three years ago now, he did it, he was number two, I believe, that year on our list. That album is freaking excellent. And this this album that he came out with this year is good, but it just didn't have the same punch to me that the the first album that he worked with Jost on did. But check that out if you missed it. He was on the podcast this summer, which was a highlight of the year for this podcast, no doubt. Andrew WK's new album, God is Partying, is another one that I thought would end up on here. And... As a whole, I really like this album, but when I kind of really thought about it and when I was putting the list together, it was more songs from the album. Three or four of the songs like really jumped out at me. But I would say as a whole, it's a great album. And if this had been, you know, the top 22 or 25, it would have been on here, I'm sure. But I just... I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's a great album. It has a real concept feel to it. It has like a real you know, kind of grand epic feel to it in the same way. I've seen people compare it to Meatloaf even. And, you know, it's cool because Andrew WK, you know, has really came a long way from where he first debuted. But at the same time, he's still doing the exact same thing, which is really cool. Like music-wise, it's changed. But the same attitude, the same positivity, all that great stuff still there. So check out that album if you have not. Wolf Mother's newest album, Rock Out. It rocks out, but kind of the same thing that I said with D. Snyder. It didn't hit me the same way the last couple albums did. And as much as I dug it, you know, I had to make room for Limp Biscuit on here somewhere, people. Okay? Bear with me, we're going to get to that. Rob Zombie's newest album, in my opinion, is probably the strongest album in many albums. There's two or three songs on there that... I would say, are some of the best of his career. Dream Theater, another excellent album. But my problem with Dream Theater is I never delved too much into them for it to soak in, I think, to the point that I'm like, this is the best, one of the best albums of the year. Like, their last album from two or three years ago was excellent as well. And it's the same thing. Like, when I listen to Dream Theater, it's like, oh, they've got a new album, let's listen to it. And then after listening to that, I go back, get on a little kick, listen to a couple of the old albums. And then it just kind of goes away for a long time. And then months and months or even a year down the road, I'll listen to him again. And the same kind of process happens. So that's, to me, I think why that didn't resonate with me as much as it probably should have. Crazy Licks. Check this album out if you like melodic hard rock. This album, you know, really probably should have been on my list in place of Limp Biscuit, But, you know, hey. I had to get Limp Biscuit on here just to piss some people off, but also because it's a great album. We've also got, did you hear the paper there? We're, we went old school this time. Usually I have a computer with everything listed, but I was just like, screw it. All right, 
I said Power Wolf, great album. Lucifer, number four. This album is really good. A really great band that I have a feeling, I think, is kind of heading on that trajectory where within another album or so, I think more people are going to know who they are. Female-fronted band, great. You know, kind of like you would gather from the name. They've got kind of an ominous feel, a dark kind of gloomy, sludgy feel, but it's also very memorable, and it's not just noise. You know, it's it's something that I think a lot, a lot of fans of metal, and especially the sludge or doom genres, would dig. Man, we also had Bad Flare. Their second album's great. Doug Pinnock put out a cool solo album. Miles Kennedy, his, neck, his second solo album, is really good. A little more rocking than... Or a little more... The first one, you know, is more kind of acoustic bass. This new one's... Got a little more rock to it. Bewitcher is another band that had a great album this year. Scattered Hamlet. The more I think about it, they probably should be on this list as well. But check out their new album if you have not. Black Label Society. Another thing kind of like... I would say kind of like Rob Zombie. I think it's probably their most cohesively... Album... Or most cohesive... uh, Great in its entirety... Of their last several albums. So check that out. Foo Fighters, Medicine at Midnight. Another album that I would say kind of like Andrew WK has several songs that really jump out at me. But as a whole, I don't think, well, I need to listen to this album straight through. It's kind of, it's good. And I know people dig it. I think Jason has had it on his, like he dropped a top 10 list on his social media recently. And I think, I believe that was in his top 10. So, hey, if he was still around, it would have been on our list here, right? Candlebox, their new album Wolves is really cool, kind of the same way, several great songs, and I think that I would probably maybe even throw that in the same category of what I said with Zombie and Black Love Society. I, I like it better than the last couple albums, even though I like those albums as well, but Kevin Martin was on here, I believe it was in August or September, talking about, no, it's September because it was after Rockaloma, because we talked about that for a minute. But he was on here talking about the album, and so check that out if you missed it. That was his second time on here. Jason Beeler had a cool album. Todd LaTorre, the vocalist of Queensryche, had a great solo album. Joel Hoekstra's 13, that's a killer album as well. That kind of that came out early in the year, and I think I made the comment when it came out that that would be on my list, but here we are. Same with Ricky Warwick. He is the vocalist of Black Star Writers, and his new solo album very much has that feel that Black Star Writers does, but it's a little more stripped down. It's a really good album you need to check out. Epica, Moonspell, both bands that put out epic music, two albums you need to check out. Michael Schenker Group, Ego Kill Talent, their guitarist was on here. Actually, it was late last year, I believe, and they put out three EPs throughout the pandemic well they put out two EPs and then instead of putting out a third EP they put out a full album with the first two EPs and then another EP's worth of music on it which I thought was a cool concept a cool way to kind of navigate through the pandemic but it's cool stuff so check that out kind of along the lines if you like Tetrarch it doesn't really sound like Tetrarch but it's kind of in that vein of of metal Thunder is another band that had a great album this year 
While She Sleeps. Gilby Clark had a new solo album that was pretty cool. Weezer, another good album from them. Man, Charlie Benante, check that out if you, if you had not. That's a covers album. We don't include covers albums in our best of lists, or else that likely would have been on this list. Aaron Jones. This is, uh, and I, I will have to be very upfront here that I only listened to this album straight through once, and I really liked it. Musically, everything I've heard from this guy is good. I've seen him live. He's great. I probably should have dug into this a little more, and it might have made the list, but Aaron Jones is definitely a guy that if you haven't heard of him, I'm kind of shocked if you're listening to the music podcast, but this guy is on the rise, and I really think within the next few years, he's going to be a headliner somewhere. So, Red Fang, Buck Cherry, Light the Torch, Night Ranger's newest album is good. Believe it or not, people, bands from back in the day still put out great albums. Sepultura, Alien Weaponry, another great one. K.K.'s Priest, the album from K.K. Downing of Judas Priest, with Tim Ripper Owens on vocals. Ripper was on here a few months ago talking about this album. It's a very cool album. If you're a Priest fan, it's got all the sounds in there from all the different eras of Priests. It's it's good stuff. Ministry, Trivium, Dead. Joel from Dead was on here couple months ago as well. John 5 had another great album. The Darkness. Gojira, like I mentioned already. Let's see what else here is on the list that I haven't mentioned. The Offspring. That was alright. I wouldn't be putting it on any list, but I mean, it was cool. Let's see. We've got I think that's everything here. Except was that album this year? I wrote that down. I don't know. Exodus. This is another one that Falls into that Gojira land for me, I think. This album is chock full of fucking riffs that will melt your fucking face off. Gary Holt. My God. If this was a top 21 strictly metal list, it would have to be on there. But personally, for me, Exodus, I just always get lost after a few songs. Because I like Zetro. I mean, if you like metal... You gotta like Zetro, but I get lost pretty quickly, because as much as I like harsh vocals, just something about his vocals are just a little too much for me after a few songs, so I can't like delve into, you know, a full album after one listen, basically. So that's my only knock on that, which isn't really a knock, that's just my personal opinion, which is why it's not on my list, so for Kevin Graham or anyone else that thinks I'm an asshole for putting Limp Biscuit on my list, but not putting Exodus. There you go. There's another reason, or there's the reason. All right. So we've kind of rambled a little bit about some stuff that came out. I kind of got off track because there at one point I was saying what uh, me and Jason used to always list off a few albums that were from other genres that weren't rock or metal that we dug throughout the year. And since I didn't do very well, that's where I was going, and I got off track like I do, but didn't do very well on just kind of digging back through stuff. But I will say one album right now, unless something pops in my head and here while I'm talking in a bit. Excuse me. The album from Silk Sonic that came out here in November. Shit, people. If this wasn't 
a top 21 of anything, that album would probably be in my top five. Top five to ten. It was a fantastic funk. You know, it's like a mixture of R&B, funk, and everything, but it's mainly just funk and soul music. And it's Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack with Bootsy Collins. And I mean, you can't go wrong with any of those guys separately. They're all excellent at what they do, but man, you put that together, it's some fucking amazing funk rock. So just, well, I said rock, it's amazing funk. So if that's your bag at all, please check this out. It's only like 30-something minutes, 30, 33 minutes long. It's a great album. All right. I just realized that I haven't mentioned my sponsors yet, so let me ramble that through real quick. Med Farm is a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 24683 East Highway 51. You can see their entire selection at leafly.com. You can also go in anytime and check out their huge selection. You can call ahead or text or email. And place your order ahead of time, and they've got a drive-thru, which I know a lot of dispensaries don't offer. And the best part about this drive-thru is it's open 24 hours a day now. You can go inside up till, I believe it's 10 p.m., but you can go through that drive-thru anytime you want, which is an amazing thing. So check that out. Medfarm, P-H-A-R-M, on Facebook. Medfarm OK on Instagram. MedfarmOK.com is the website. And they are cannabis with a cause because 30% of their proceeds at all times, go to build no-kill animal shelters, which is a fantastic cause that no other dispensary in this area can claim. They will also give you 10% off your first order if you mention Thunder Underground, so don't forget to mention us when you hit up Med Farm. Sunset Tattoo is a tattoo shop in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 25 plus years of experience, their tattoos are done good and proper. They are state licensed and they are mother approved. Jake does amazing work. You can see it all. At Sunset Tattoo Tulsa on Instagram. And it's the same thing on Facebook. There are tons of pictures on there. So check them all out. I've had a tattoo done by Jake. And I'm hoping to have another one done soon. I'm very happy with it so I can speak from experience. I know others that have as well. Get on there. Check out that work. Then hit up Jake to set up a time to get in and talk about what work you want to have done. We've also got DEB Concerts. A promoter based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That has brought in tons of great acts to Tulsa, Oklahoma, as well as prior Oklahoma, because they booked the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every year. Rocklahoma recently announced that they will be staying on Labor Day now instead of Memorial Day. So once that lineup comes out, we'll probably have Doug on to talk about the bands that he has booked in 2022 for that. But he's also got some announcements coming for some shows at the BOK Center and some other places. In the past, he had Snoop Dogg and Nelly at the BOK Center, and he bought, brought some great rock shows to the Ideal Ballroom, which we unfortunately unfortunately lost here in 2021. With bands like Saxon and Last in Line, Bisto Blanco, Warrant, Lita Ford, Great White, Junkyard, LA Guns, Kicks, all kinds of great bands. So, huge thank you to Doug and DEB Concerts for their continued sponsorship of this podcast. And finally, we got Hell Hot Hot Sauce, a hot sauce company based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. They make small batch artisan hot sauces. They do a lot of collaborations with metal artists on their hot sauces. Florida Frank from Hatebreed has a sauce that is hot as hell, but it is extremely good if you can handle hot stuff. I'm not talking a little bit. Hella hot is not a joke. That's the 
that's a great description for their sauces. There's also a great one from Techno Destructo of Gore, a great one from Ghoul. There's now a new sauce from Night Demon called Heavy Metal Heat. Night Demon's been on this podcast four times, so check out their hot sauce. There should also be one coming soon from Zetro and one from Death Angel. Hellhothotsauce.com. You can check everything out there. You can buy sauces online. They'll ship it to you. Or if you're on the West Coast, there are a lot of stores out there. So check them out. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Hell Hot Hot Sauce and tell them you heard about them here. All right. Kind of jumping into this now. Top 21 of 2021. Like I mentioned, you can see the entire list and I'm about to tell it to you. But 21 through 12, I'm just going to kind of mention, say a couple little things about it, and then get into the top 11 and run down that for you. All right, kicking off this list at number 21 is Lint Biscuit and their album Still Sucks. Yes, Lint Biscuit still sucks. And I know that a lot of people actually believe that. But I've had no problem in my life admitting that I've never believed that. I've always been a fan of this band. And I know that some people find that ridiculous. But I'm also a fan of some C-grade glam bands. I'm also a fan of some really shitty pop music from the 90s. I'm also a fan of all kinds of shit that people find objectionable. And I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I could give a shit. If you don't like the fact that I like Roxette and Slayer, then kiss my ass. But here we are. We're talking about Limp Biscuit. Their album still sucks. And I was... This album came out the same day as like three or four other albums that were all great. I believe it came out the same day as Mastodon. The same day as Jerry Cantrell. And there was something else that day. Maybe Tremonti or... Uh, John Five, I think. Regardless. All albums that... Most fans of rock and metal would have listened to before Limp Biscuit, but I went straight to Limp Biscuit just out of curiosity. I had heard the song Dad Vibes, and I'm thought, this song is not that great. You know, it's funny. I get what they're saying, but whatever. But just out of curiosity, I've got to listen to this album. And I'm not joking. I listened to it like three times in a row. And since then, I probably listened to this album more than any other album on this list, except maybe Dirty Honey and Jerry Cantrell. And I don't know, you know, but if you never liked Limp Biscuit, you undoubtedly will not like this album. But if you ever liked anything about Limp Biscuit, I think you will love this album because it's one of those albums, like a couple other ones I'm going to mention here in a bit, that really encompass everything the band ever did and even some new stuff. You know, they kind of hit all different styles in this album. They get a little bit heavier than I think they've ever gotten. They get a little bit poppier than I think they've ever gotten. And still, it all sounds like Limp Biscuit, which is the mark of a band doing what they're supposed to do, I think. Branching out, but still knowing who it is when you listen to it, that kind of thing. Just this album as a whole, the songs like Pill Popper and Barnacle, all the songs that are heavy are probably the best songs on this album. Which kind of makes you think, well, they should have just released a, an album full of heavy songs and this might have been in my top ten. But I'm kind of glad they didn't because I really liked what they did, like I mentioned on some of these other songs, like Don't Change and You Bring Out the Worst in Me. 
and Empty Hole, but those two songs I mentioned, along with the first two songs, Out of Style and Dirty Rotten Biscuit, I would put up, you know, I mean, it's like I've said, I know what some people are going to say, but as good as anything they've ever done, which I know some of you think is nothing. But anyway, I, I just really, really, really dug this thing from start to finish. And I kind of don't think that I've been able to, I don't think there's a Limp Biscuit album outside of the very first one, $3 bill, y'all, that I could just put on and listen to straight through anymore. There's always something I would be like, skip. And this is probably the first Limp Bizkit album since the first one that I would be able to do that with. So take that as what you will. And that's why they're right there on this list. I put them there in the last spot. I was trying to figure out where to put them. I just wanted them on the list. There you go. I'm just being straight up. I'm being transparent. That's why they're on the list. And Andrew W.K., D. Snyder, Wolf Mother, Gojira, Spirit Box is not on the list. All right. Resist and Bite is number 20. Their self-titled debut album came out this year. Resist and Bite is a band that a lot of people, I think, probably still are not familiar with. And I'm hoping that if you hear this and you go check it out, my work here is done, you know. But there's at least one or two other albums on the list here that I think are kind of the same way, where... They're not household names in the rock world, but Resistant Bite, excuse me, has Nathan Utz as the vocalist, and he is formerly of Lynch Mob. He was in Lynch Mob a few years ago for a while. So that kind of gives you an idea of his vocal styles, because what Lynch Mob had with Oni Logan and Robert Mason, Nathan fit right into that mold even more kind of leaning towards the Oni style than the, the Robert style. So, and then you had Tommy Skio of Tesla on this album. And I will say it right here. Tesla, I've mentioned many times throughout the history of this podcast, is one of my three favorite bands of all time. Okay? I've seen them live more than any other band that I've ever seen. I've seen them live 29 times. And this album from Resistant Bite is the album that Tesla wishes they could fucking make these days. That's not a knock on Tesla. And I know that I know that people might even be rolling their eyes at this because this isn't a competition, but I'm just stating it because it's something that I think needs to be said because ever since Tommy left Tesla, something's been missing. And Dave Root is great, but Tommy had an attitude that the last album he was on, Into the Now, that's the last album that is amazing. That Tesla released. Okay. So here we are with Resistant Bite and their debut album. Does it sound like Tesla? No. Are there guitar parts that sound like Tesla? Obviously, because you've got one of the two guitarists of the classic sound of Tesla. And just this album is, it's a pretty long one, I think. It's around 50 minutes, but it's, it's got everything that, that you would want in a hard rock album that borders on metal. So check this thing out if you have not. I really think that if you like progressive style metal or standard, just, you know, your straight up classic metal with a tinge of, I mean, I should say hard rock with a tinge of metal to it, you'll really dig this. So check it out. All right. Robin McCauley released his newest solo album called Standing on the Edge. This came out early in the year. And Robin McCauley, of course, 
is the vocalist now for a band called Black Swan, which is a super group. He is also the vocalist from the classic lineup of MSG. MSG now, of course, is the Michael Schenker group. But whenever Robin was in the band, it was titled the Macaulay Schenker group. Pretty fortunate for Michael that his first name started with an M, right? So he didn't have to change the the logo. Anyway, bringing all that up because this album, Standing on the Edge, if you like Robin because of his music with Michael Schenker, you're absolutely going to love this album. It's fantastic, solid, melodic hard rock album from one of the most underrated vocalists of a whole era of music. When you're talking late 80s melodic hard rock, MSG had their their radio hits, but they did not get the recognition that I think they should have. And Robin McCauley, you know, has done, a, done great stuff in the last few years. You know that, like I mentioned, that Black Swan album was on our list last year. This album is, of course, on the list this year. Black Swan's supposed to have another album next year, so they'll probably be back once again. But I just implore you that if you just like straight-up hard rock with amazing vocals, Robin McCauley, his new solo album, should be right up your alley. He's been on this podcast three times now, actually. Got to talk to him twice, and then also talk to him for the Van Halen tribute episode that we did in 2020, after Eddie Van Halen passed away. And Robin McCauley is an excellent guest on this podcast, as well as, obviously, an excellent musician. So, please, check this album out. Number 18, Void Vader, Great Fear Rising. Void Vader is another one of those bands that I wanted to mention, like Resistant Bite, that I think, hopefully, by the next time we do one of these, or the next time they have an album out, more people will know who they are. They're starting, they're starting to gradually, you know, make that upward trajectory. I think, you know, where people are noticing. They played a festival in um, South Texas this past summer. I was really trying to make it to and wasn't able to. It had a great lineup of a lot of kind of stoner and doom bands, which Void Vader is not. And their album Stranded came out. Two years ago, which was excellent, but this album, Great Fear Rising, just slams from start to finish. I can't take it. I want more. Or just bang out the get-go with this album. And this whole thing, MacGyver's Mullet, I love all the songs on this album. It's a fantastic album. It's one of those get-in-and-get-out kind of banger albums, where it's like a little over 30 minutes long, and... If you like your metal, you need to check out Void Vader, because they're coming. And Eric from Void Vader has been on this podcast more than once, and he was on there earlier this year talking about this album with me and Jason. So be sure and check out Great Fear Rising if you have not. All right, at number 17, we've got Mammoth, WVH, with his debut solo album. Mammoth, WVH as you probably know, stands for Wolfgang Van Halen. I thought it was cool that he decided to go the route of making it a name instead of just 
using the Van Halen name in his, basically in his stage name, which he had been because, you know, he's been playing in the band Van Halen for quite a while now with his father and uncle. But when he put out his debut solo album, he went with the, the moniker Mammoth WVH. And for those of you that aren't aware, Mammoth was actually the original name of the band Van Halen. So that's where that kind of homage comes in. This album is a great album from start to finish. It's almost an hour long, but it's one of those ones you can listen to straight through and it doesn't get old. It kind of, to me, the the best songs on the album are early on in the album, but there's some great songs at the, at the end as well. But I really love the first three tracks, Mr. Ed, Horribly Right, and Epiphany. I think just set the tone and really make this album the greatness that it is. And you really kind of get another one of those great hard rock albums that, you know, the the lines of hard rock and metal are so blurred these days. And we've talked about this in the past with Seven Dust, because they're one of those bands that is, I do believe is a heavy metal band. But you can also say they just kind of set on that fence right there between hard rock and metal. And I think that Wolfgang is kind of doing the same thing. There's some heavy stuff on here. But he's got melodic vocals, and his vocals are... I think Jason pointed it out when we first when this album came out that... Or when the first songs came out, that he was surprised at how... And I think a lot of people were surprised about how great of a singer Wolfgang is. But I think at the end of the day, should anybody be surprised about anything when it comes to someone whose bloodline has Van Halen blood in it? Probably not. I mean, this guy is getting an unbelievable amount of hate on Twitter and and, inst- and fucking all social media for no fucking reason other than the fact that people are fucking idiots, you know. And I like the fact that the guy claps back at him, you know, because, you know, there's these boogans out there that are like, you know, you don't sound like your dad, you know, well, like no fucking shit. He's not his dad. He's fucking Wolfgang Van Halen and he's releasing music. Why would he release an, an an album with songs that sounds like Hot for Teacher or, you know, fucking Dance the Night Away or Jamie's Crying because that's not him. He was in that band, yeah, because who wouldn't be in that band if they had the chance? Anyway, that's another tangent. Check out Mammoth WVH self-titled album if you have not yet. All right, number 16 is the band Haunt and their album... Beautiful Distraction. Alright, Beautiful Distraction. It came out earlier in this year. It was in April. And I need I should have looked this up. What number this is. I think it's number 7 for Haunt. And they've been around for maybe 6 years total. Maybe. I'm, another thing. I knew well, this has been talked about on the podcast. Because Trevor Church from Haunt has been on the podcast a couple times. And the last time he was on, he mentioned that his goal was to put out 20 albums. Because when you really think about bands, when you think of bands that have 20 albums, it's a really small list. Even bands that you think might have 20 albums don't. I mean, I think ACDC is up there. But how long is it taking them to put out that many, you know? And that's kind of the the idea here. He said that he's 
wanting to put out 20 albums. I think he said before he was 50 or another thing I should have looked up. But regardless, he's putting out albums and he's not just pumping out filler music. He's somehow releasing albums with, you know, 10, 15 songs on them that every time are good. And this album, Beautiful Distractions, no different with the songs In Our Dreams, Sea of Dreams. I really like the, the word dreams, I guess, when it comes to haunt, you know, hearts on fire. I mean, imaginary borders. This whole album is another one that people really need to check out. They kind of get thrown into the, the list of bands, you know, they're kind of revitalizing the new wave of British heavy metal sound, which you can hear at times, but haunts a little more than that. You know, he, he brought keyboards into the element the last couple of years. He's, which well, was also a staple of, you know, some of that old stuff, but that's not the point. The point is, this band kind of combines, I think, the new wave of British heavy metal with a more classic metal feel. Even a bit of thrash at times when it comes to riffing styles. But anyway, really, this is a band that a lot of people don't know and they really need to know. So check out Haunt. There's a plethora of music now. Like I said, several albums. Even released a second album this year that was a an unplugged uh, EP, basically. Well, I guess it was more of an album because it had like eight or nine songs on it, I think. But it was an unplugged album of many of the songs that a few of the songs are on this album as well as previous albums. So check that out as well, which is really cool to hear a band that's this a decidedly metal band releasing an unplugged album. So, all right. Number 15 is The Pretty Reckless, Death by Rock and Roll. So, if you had told me in the year 2020 that in the year 2021 that Pretty Reckless would put out an album and I would put it on my top 21 album, top 21 albums of the year list over D. Snyder or Andrew W.K. or Spirit Box. Well, I didn't even know who Spirit Box was last year, but you know what I mean. I would have probably laughed and called you an idiot. I've never disliked The Pretty Reckless. I just kind of thought, eh. I just kind of found a bland there for a while for some reason. But I admittedly only listened, hold, heard the singles and never delved into anything. And Jason, on you know, to his credit, mentioned a few times throughout the years, over the last several years, he's like, I can't believe you don't like The Pretty Reckless because it seems like a band that you would like. And I guess that shows, hey, this guy knows me because this album came out. I can't remember what the first song I heard from it was. But then I heard a couple more songs and I'm like, this is fucking good. And so I finally delved into this whole album. And it's another one that just like I kept listening to, like the song And So It Went features Tom Morello on the guitar solo. I listened to that song probably as much as any song I listened to this year. And I couldn't get enough of it. Then there's songs like Standing at the Wall. The song Turning Gold is one of the best albums, probably the best ballad of the year. Or one of the best ballads of the year. I take that back. Damon Johnson probably hold that crown. But like, and then the songs like the title track, Death by Rock and Roll, Only Love Can Save Me Now, is 
a single now. It features Matt Cameron from Soundgarden, Taylor Momsen from Pretty Reckless, as noted that she is a massive Soundgarden fan. And after Cornell passed that year, she played Rocklahoma here in Oklahoma. The band Pretty Reckless played, and it was like literally like two or three weeks after Chris Cornell played, and he was supposed to, the Soundgarden was supposed to play that year. And I I wasn't really a fan of the Pretty Reckless. I was kind of walking by, and then they started playing like a stone. So I stood and watched it. She did an excellent job. But anyway, this woman has a voice that really kind of harkens to, you know, I think kind of like what um, Lizzie Hill has done, where it kind of, it harkens back to some of the women that were like, the pioneers of, you know, female-fronted rock music like Lita Ford and Pat Benatar and Joan Jett and all that kind of stuff. And they, <clears throat> excuse me, and, you know, she kind of does the same thing where she has a great scream and a great presence and a great kind of, you know, fully encompassing hard rock sound that can also be melodic and beautiful and powerful. So. I'm trying to say all this to say that if you kind of did what I did and blown off the Pretty Reckless because they're a mainstream, quote-unquote, radio rock band, you know, give them a shot. It might not be for you, but hey, it just might be. I don't know. All right, this next band, number 14, 12-Foot Ninja, put out their new album, and I was really excited when this came out because this is another band that they put out some great music, but they, they're not one of those bands that have been pumping out music year after year or every other year. They've actually, this is, I believe is their third album. And the other two were like, the first album was like almost 10 years ago now. So anyway, it's a band out of Australia that really is hard to describe, which is the best part about it. They're definitely a hard rock band. They've got elements of metal at times. They've got elements of funk at times. They've got elements of tons of different genres. There, are, The first time I heard them, it really reminded me of Faith No More in a way. Because the vocalist does a lot of different stuff in the same songs in the same way Mike Patton does. Is he as good as Mike Patton? Absolutely not. Because there's not a singer on this planet that is... I said it, and I stand by it. Anyway, 12-Foot Ninja is, an, is a band that a lot of people don't know, but you need to check out. The song I, IDK, I would assume stands for I Don't Know, right? <laughs> Shock to the System. Man, let me look at the list here real quick. The title track. You know, this whole this album, just like their previous albums, is all over the place, but all over the place in a controlled way that makes sense. So, check out 12 Foot Ninja if you have not. I've seen them live too, and they are great. Alright, number 13. Volbeat, Servant of the Mind. And I am... I know that Volbeat is very much now have kind of turned into one of those bands that 
are very divisive with people or um not divisive I guess yeah I mean people are kind of on you know you're either polarizing I guess is the word right in the same way that Nickelback or Five Finger Death Punch became where people either really like him or they really don't like him there's really not a gray area it seems like Volbeat, I've been a major champion of this band since the first time I heard them. And that's been 15 years ago now? I don't know. 14, 15 years ago? I can't remember. I can tell you a story right now. I remember the first time I heard them. It was on Sirius XM. At that point, it was only Sirius because both of them still existed. And I was driving in my truck and the song The Human Instrument came on. And it just knocked me on my ass. I'm like, what the hell is this? It said Volbeat, the human instrument. And I used to have one of those handheld serious um, receivers that you could, you know, pause, rewind, all that stuff. So I, when the song ended, I went back and I listened to the song like five more times in a row. And not long after that, I ended up getting that album. And this band, the first several albums, the first four albums, in my opinion, are flawless. And I know that a lot of people say, how's that so? Because a lot of you don't like his voice, and that's perfectly fine. There's people out there that, or there's bands out there that people love that I don't like the singer's voice, so who cares? You know, if that's your reason you don't like Volbeat, great. They're not on your list. They're on Thunder Underground's list. Okay, Volbeat, Servant of the Mind, to me, the last couple Volbeat albums, Maybe the last three. I don't know. I need to look. Or at least since we started doing these best of podcast episodes. I'm not sure if they've even made one of our lists. They might have made one of them like far down. But the point is. Did they stray too far? I don't think so. They strayed far enough that they became a household name in the rock world. They became big in America. Because they slightly shifted their sound, I think, to be a little bit more radio-friendly at times. They still, The songs are still good, in my opinion, but it just kind of lost me. And not to the point that I stopped loving them. I still listen to every one of those albums. I'd still go see them any chance I got, because they're great live. But I don't... This is the first album since the first four that I think really harkens back to that that early sound. It still has some of that radio-friendly stuff on it, but it has a lot of songs that, like the song Wait a Minute, My Girl, fits perfectly in with what they've been doing. But the song directly after it, The Sacred Stones, is an unbelievable song that will never get played on the radio. Then you've got the song The Shotgun Blues, which is, when I first saw it, popped up as a new single. I'm like, did they cover Guns N' Roses? Nope, they didn't, but it's a great song. Man, The Passenger, Step Into Light, Becoming. This is a long-ass album. The song Domino is very <clears throat> reminiscent as well of, of early Volbeat in the sense of when they weren't being super heavy, they were being kind of weird. And that's what that song kind of encompasses, and I really dug it. There's also a version of Shotgun Blues with Dave Matrice, the vocalist of Jungle Rock, on it, and that is very cool as well. It's something else Volbeat's done on the last two or three albums where they had a a song and they brought in 
you know, another vocalist to sing along. And with Michael Paulson, Danko Jones was on the last album before a couple albums ago. They had Barney from Napalm Death, which was unbelievable. So anyway, Volbeat, kind of like what I've said earlier, I guess with Limbiskit, if you didn't like this band, I don't know if that's going to change, but if they're one of those bands you liked and then kind of straight away, you need to come back right now and check out Servant of the Mind. All right, number 12, Iron Maiden. Is it Senjutsu? I don't know. I've never actually heard anyone say it out loud now that I think of it. So that's just how it is in my head, but I don't know. This album is another album that didn't resonate with me the way I thought it would. If you had said Iron Maiden's got a new album coming out next year, I'd be like, I bet that's going to be my top five albums of the year. But I guess 12 is not a bad number. But it's not, is it the Book of Souls? To me, personally, not. I've seen a couple people say that this is their best album since Bruce came back, which I don't think is true at all. But that's the great thing about Iron Maiden, is that they keep putting out albums that are good. You can't ever, I don't think you can really ever say that they've never put out an album that's at least good, whether you think it's as great as other stuff is irrelevant, I guess. But that's the thing about Maiden is they can put out music that, and they have such a worldwide fan base that I guarantee you there's people around this world that think Senjutsu is the best album they've put out since like fucking 1985. And there's other people that'll be like, fuck this album. You know, so it's like, that to me is the mark of, of greatness. When you can put out albums that are continually good and that really draw emotion out of people, regardless of whether you know, it's good emotion or not, but I don't, I haven't seen people saying this album isn't good. I just seen people saying it's not what they wanted. And I get that because, you know, there's stuff like the writing on the wall, you know, when that came out, people were like, what is this? And it was like a weird lead off track, you know? And I, but I, I love the fact that they kind of went in that total different direction from what you expected from lead off track from Maiden. You know, the first single is not usually that type of song. You know, that kind of slow building epic kind of prog rock kind of thing. And, but me for a, me for a whole, it's like, like I just said, Iron Maiden, they always put out good music. There's no way this album wouldn't be on this list, but it didn't hit me the same way Book of Souls did, which I thought was their best album since Bruce came back. So if you hadn't checked that one out, go back a couple few years now and check that out as well. But Iron Maiden is about to embark on a massive worldwide tour here in 2022 that they were supposed to do this year, and actually I think last year as well. But like many other bands, it has been postponed. So hopefully you can make it to one of those shows. I got tickets for Tulsa if I'm in town to be able to see it. It's yet to be seen, but I've got my tickets and I'm ready to go if I can. Alright, number 11. And... Like I mentioned up front, I kind of went into more detail about each of those than I thought I would, which I knew would be the case, but I was trying to make it quicker. Oh, well. I originally toyed with the idea of just doing a top 11 of 2021, but I went ahead and threw on these other albums so we could talk a bit about them. 
But if I had done that, this would have been your first album on the list, number 11, Smith Cotson. Look at that. Back to back on the list, Adrian Smith. I don't know if there's anybody else in history that can say that they are back to back on one of our year-end lists. I know there's been a couple that made more than one appearance, but Smith and Cotson, for those of you that have not been indicted into the welcomed into the world of greatness, this is Adrian Smith of Iron Maiden and Richie Cotson of Richie Cotson. <laughs> Richie Cotson of the Winery Dogs, most famously, probably, besides the fact that he was in Poison at one point. But here's the deal. Richie Cotson could write a song in his sleep. Richie Cotson could write a song on the toilet while he's taking a shit. Richie Cotson could have in earplugs and a blindfold and there'd be a fucking blizzard and him standing out barefoot freezing his nuts off and still write a song that is better than most of the shit you listen to. And that's a fucking fact. Because this man is one of the greatest living rock musicians in the world that underrated shouldn't even be a term for this guy. You should know who he is. And a lot of you listening to this will know who he is. Because why else would you be listening this in-depth to some guy rambling about rock albums if you didn't know who Richie Cotton was? But the mainstream fan does not. And this guy, when it comes to guitar work and vocal work, is at the top of his game. There are very few people that can touch him in either category. And that, to me, is the most phenomenal thing. That's like, because most people, it's like, he's an amazing fucking guitarist and he's a pretty good singer. Or he's an amazing fucking singer and he's a pretty good guitarist or bass player. Richie Cotson is like fucking Glenn Hughes. And I don't say that lightly. Because Glenn Hughes is one of the greatest of all fucking time. And Richie Cotson is right there. When it comes to being able to play an instrument and vocalize as good or better than almost anybody. And he could play piano amazingly as well. I will go to my grave saying that, you know, hey, they could do something in a few years and it blow my mind. But do I think Soundgarden should ever do anything again? No. But if they do, Richie Cotson is the only guy that I would be cool with them saying, this is going to be our singer. Anyway, that's a complete random point. Adrian Smith. You know him. As one of the three guitarists in Iron Maiden, okay? Now, if you listen to this album, if you have not, you're going to know him as like, holy shit, this guy can sing his ass off too. <laughs> so you've got two great guitarists, and you've got two great singers. The thing about this album is, if you like Richie Cotson's solo music or the Winery Dogs, you're going to fucking love this album, because it is very heavily in that vein of music, because... Richie Cotson can't sing or play guitar without it being extremely recognizable, at least to me, I think, or anybody else that listens to his music. And he's been on this year-end list of ours several times. A couple Winery Dogs albums. Actually, before we even were doing the podcast, when we were just putting stuff out on social media, the Winery Dogs debut album was like our number one album of the year in like 2012 or 2013, whatever. But like... He's been on here multiple times with that. His album that came out last year, 50 for 50, the guy released 50 new songs that were good. There was no fucking filler. It was amazing. So 
anyway, he carries that torch on. If it sounds like to me, you could say this sounds very similar to like Richie Cotton's solo with another great musician contributing. Because there's there's a, a couple songs that Adrian Smith takes the vocals on by himself, and there's actually two or three songs that they trade vocals. They both sing on. Adrian Smith's vocals are a little more bluesy. And it's just, this whole thing is like, when I first heard about it, I'm like, what? Because it's like, it, it it's not like the two guys, when you think about them, don't go together. It's just like, <clears throat> you don't think about it. Why would you ever think that one of the guys from Iron Maiden and Richie Codson would be like, hey, fuck it, let's make an album. I guess there's a pandemic, crazy shit happens, I don't know. But I implore you to listen to this album. Honestly. As I'm talking, I'm like, why is this number 11? This should probably be like number 5. But anyway, start to finish, great songs. I think my favorite song on the album might be Solar Fire. The final track, Till Tomorrow, or no, it's the second to last track, I Want to Stay, has an amazing kind of dual guitar thing going on. And the, the ending solo is super long and great. You Don't Know Me is great, Glory Road. Just check this out, I promise you. If you like good, bluesy, soulful rock and roll, you're going to have to love this thing. Alright, number 10 is Evergrey. And that would be, why did I just draw a blank on her name? Escape of the Phoenix is the name of the album. This album came out pretty early in the year, and it's one of those albums like I do with every Evergrey album when it comes out. I just go balls deep into it, listen to it a bunch of times in a row, and then I'm like... Then I don't listen to it for a while, and then I come back to it and just kind of go in that phase. And like, But I knew they're another one of those bands that I think I might be a little too fanboy about at times, because I think they're a band that I don't think has ever released an album that wasn't great. And I know that's saying a lot, because I think that you could take every Evergrey, every, excuse me, every Evergrey album ever released put them all in a playlist and hit shuffle and not have to skip tracks. There's very few bands out there that I could do that with, even bands I love. And I think, so I think I always have kind of this pre-conceived feeling that, oh, this album's going to be great and I don't get let down. So then maybe I hold it higher than I should. You know, I, I don't, I don't like this album as much as the album The Atlantic that came out two years ago, but I still love it. And it's a, it's another one of those albums that, or another one of those bands that I think if if there's something about them you don't like, there's nothing here that's going to change that. But I just don't understand how people could like certain kinds of metal and not love this band. I understand if you're just into heavy stuff or death metal or, you know, slam your face, you know, just pound it, whatever the fuck kind of terms I should be using here. You might not dig it, you know, but if those people that are into like, you know, some of the stuff like progressive metal or the operatic metal or any of the things that, you know, these guys are not operatic at all, but I just meant anything where it's like more based off of, you know, hugeness epicness, atmospheric metal, you know, your whole, you know, kind of, 
you got to like really hear all the sounds going on in here besides just the guitar, bass, drums, vocals. It's just kind of like a, an all encompassing thing. And like Evergrey has continually done that. And, you know, I'll forever say that they're one of the, the probably the best band metal band from Sweden. And I know that most people would not say that, but I absolutely would. And they're like one of the final five bands or so on my bucket list of bands that I've never seen that I absolutely hope and pray one day I'll get to see. So Evergrey, another great album. Check it out. I do believe that if you like good heavy metal, you'll dig it. Number nine, Danko Jones, Power Trio. Where to start here? Another one of those bands that I think if you didn't like before, you're not going to like now, okay? But I say that, and I don't mean that in a negative way, because if you don't like Danko Jones, I think you've got problems. Because there's very few bands that I think you could compare to some classic rock bands, and it'd actually be a valid comparison. Like in what they do, and how consistent they are, you know, you're four on the floor type, just like, boom, boom, here's a three-minute song, here's a four-minute song, you know, you kind of know what you're going to get, but at the same time, you don't, because I, you know, I think Power Trio is Denko Jones' best album since Blow the Belt, and that came out in 2010, or 2009, or 10, maybe? It's been over 10 years now, I think, so, and Denko Jones is a band that's put out an album at least every other year for the past 20 years. Another band that has never got the recognition that they should in America. And we actually talked about that when Denko Jones was on this podcast a few months ago. Actually, this album came out in August and he was on the podcast like the week it came out, but I didn't get the, the that episode released until like October or November because I was so far behind because of being gone, working festivals and stuff. But this album, it encompasses everything. And we talked about that on this episode that, like, he's got his lyrical styles that he sticks with, you know, the same kind of topics. But he also branched out on this one. Songs like I Want Out and Start the Show, the bookends of this album, are really influenced by what's going on with COVID. And Danko Jones has always been one of those guys. It's like our songs about party, about rock and roll, about women, about whatever that you expect from your rock and roll. And the rest of the the stuff, like the COVID or the political stuff, stays out of it. But he'll talk about it on social media, just not his music. But he kind of brought it into music. And it still works because it's done in a way to where it still just sounds like that good hard rock that you're known from Denko Jones. And the, the album title Power Trio is an amazing description of what this band is and has always been one of the best power trios that a lot of people have never heard, which just blows my mind because it's just stomping good time, fucking party rock and roll. And there's a lot of bands out there that do it and do it well, but as consistently and amazingly and perfectly as Denko Jones, probably not. So please, 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 Check out this this album. The song's Ship of Lies. 
is one of my favorite songs of the year. The song Good Looking. Man, check it all out. Denko Jones, number nine. Number eight is Tremonti and the song, the song, excuse me, the album Marching in Time. I saw a lot of people comparing Mammoth WVH to Tremonti. And that's a, that's a valid comparison because that's a good kind of the vein of what Wolfgang's music sounds like. And he was actually, for those of you that don't know, he was actually in Tremonti when the band first came out. I don't think, I'm not sure if he, I can't remember if he played on the first album or if he just toured with him, but he was there during the first album cycle. To me, this album, I don't want to say it's the best Tremonti album ever. But it's consistent as fuck. And I mean, that's what Mark Tremonti has always done. And for those of you that don't, you know, that kind of have always blown this guy off because you don't like Creed or something. You're doing yourself a disservice because Alter Bridge and Tremonti are excellent bands that borderline on progressive metal. Borderline, there's, there's, Points in Tremonti's music that borderlines on thrash when it comes to the guitar work. And just like I mentioned before with Seven Dust or Mammoth or anybody else, where it kind of fits in that gray area, somewhere between hard rock and heavy metal. And he's a better singer than you would imagine. He's actually sang on a couple Alter Bridge albums, and he holds his own live when he sings, next to one of the best singers in rock and roll in Miles Kennedy. But Mark Tremonti and this band, the thing I, I've always appreciated is that it's an entity that sounds nothing like Alterbridge. Of course, there's phrasing and guitar parts at times that do because it's the guitarist. But as a whole, you don't hear a Tremonti song and think, well, that sounds like it should have been on an Alterbridge album. You know, there, there might be something at times, but that's just not what you get. You get something that's very much its own entity. And this album is just balls out at times. Like the, the opening track, A World Away, just crushes when it opens. And it, you know, you kind of get that in several other songs. And I, I think that something else that, that hit me a while back when I was listening to this that I've never said on the podcast or anywhere is that when I was listening to this album, and it's funny because I could have heard it in earlier album, you know, other earlier Tremonti songs, but I didn't hear it until I was listening to this for some reason. And I was like thinking, if Ever Gray and Seven Dust got in a room and had a wild orgy and had a baby, it would be the band Tremonti. Sure, there's times there's songs that sound don't sound like that, but there are several songs where it sounds like that rhythmic crush of Seven Dust with that atmospheric fucking beauty when it comes to the the vocal melodies and the vocal lines that you get from Tom England in Evergrey. You get those two sounds put together and you get Tremonti. And the song, this, I keep saying the song, the, the album, well, the song, the final song on the 
album is called Marching in Time, and it's good. But the album Marching in Time is just another in the legacy of Mark Tremonti. This guy's been doing it at a high level for 25 years now. You know, Creed was at the highest level when it came to, you know, success. And then Alterbridge took it to another level when it came to the, the quality of the songs and especially the quality of the vocals. And then now Tremonti takes it to another level with Tremonti when it just comes to just pounding, crushing, riffing, heavy music. So check out Tremonti's Marching in Time if you have not yet. All right, number seven is another band that not enough people know. And it's another one of those that I hope maybe someone will listen to this and think, oh, I'll check that out. The band Inglorious and the album We Will Ride. This album came out pretty early in the year as well. And man, this album, this band, I just hope and pray that 30 years from now we're talking about music and it's like, oh, did you hear the new album from Inglorious? I hope that that's something that happens because these guys now have, they haven't even been around that long, less than 10 years. And they've already got out, what, three, four albums? Let me look real quick before I, before I make that statement. Inglorious, Inglorious 2, Ride of Nowhere. Yeah, that's their fourth album. They actually had a fifth album that came out this year, but they, they released a covers album. But like many people during COVID had extra time. But their covers album was called Heroin. But it's pronounced, it's spelt with an E, you know, as in the female hero, not the drug. And they do covers of nothing but songs by by female singers. Like I was, I Hate Myself for Loving You by Joan Jed, Barracuda by Heart, that kind of stuff. Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. That album came out just actually a couple months ago. So check that one out if you had not. But We Will Ride lands number seven on our list. Such an amazing band that takes the element of blues and the element of hard rock, and combines them together perfectly. Something that George Lynch and Oni Logan have always been masters of when they get together. This band falls directly into that vein. Vocally, I don't know if there's anybody that has debuted in the last few years, besides the band I'll mention at number one, that has hit me the same way as Inglorious has. And I just feel like I'm just like rambling and gushing when it comes to this band or several of these bands, but hey, that's what we're doing because it's the best of kind of thing. But this this whole album, Messiah, Medusa, excuse me, My Misery, God of War, if you like your music, if you like, excuse me, if you like your hard rock music to have that bluesy feel, but not ever stray into the blues, if that's the way to put it, it's like, think of, you know, bands that kind of did it non-obviously, like, like Cinderella. When you think of Cinderella, you automatically think of glam rock, even though 
they kind of transcended that in my opinion. But when you hear them, you don't automatically think bluesy, but then you hear a song like Night Songs or Long Cold Winter and you think, well, holy shit, you know, and it, it's kind of the same way with Inglorious. It's like, you don't automatically think the blues. You think this is a great hard rock band out of England, okay? But like most bands that are rooted, especially classic rock bands that are rooted out of England, they always seem to have that kind of tinge to where they can stray into the blues, but not stray into the blues, if you know what I'm saying. So anyway, I really hope people glom onto this band at some point. You know, not many bands, they kind of, you know, almost in the, in the vein of what we talked about with Haunt earlier, they put out five albums in the last five years, basically. Came out in 2016. And, uh, or is that right? Let me look at my thing again here real quick. Inglorious 2016 was the debut album. Yep. Yeah, so three albums in 16, 17, 19, and then this album came out this year, of course, and then the covers album came out this year as well. So, hey, if we get another album from next year, fuck, dude. These guys are just, they're on their way. So, please check out Inglorious if you have not. I promise you, just like I have with many of these other things, that this is a band that you need to know. This next band is a band that you undoubtedly need to know. And if you've listened to this podcast more than once, you've probably heard me or Jason mention this band's name since the beginning of this podcast to now. Somehow this band's name would come up at least every third episode, probably. Every time they've released an album, they've been in our top five, I think, actually, until this year. Shit, I should have just put them at five, right, to make to make that trend going. But now we can basically say every album they've ever put out has been in our top six. And this is now, I believe, their fifth album. Or let me look at that here while we're talking. Their debut album, Internal Affairs, was 2012. This is three, four, five, six. No, sixth album. Okay. The Knife Flight Orchestra. Let me try to explain this real quick. If for some reason you don't know who they are. They're out of Sweden as well. And they are, quote unquote, a super group. But unlike most super groups... You know, you get a bunch of guys together from metal bands, and they're, here's a super group of bands playing metal. But no, this is a super group of guys from melodic death metal bands, like Sorrel Work and Arch Enemy. Releasing music that sounds absolutely nothing like Sorrel Work or Arch Enemy. The debut album came out almost ten years ago now. And when that came out, it just knocked me on my ass. It was straight up classic rock. And the more AOR tinged classic rock, like the late 70s. Kiss, Van Halen, Sammy Hagar, Boston, Foreigner, that kind of stuff. And somehow this band has managed throughout the years. Like I said, they've knocked out six albums in less than 10 years now. And they, They've, if you listen to that first album, and if you listen to all these albums in a row, you totally see this whole transgression, or not transgression, this total um, transformation into what they are now, 
which isn't super far away from where they began, but it is noticeably different. But they still have a throwback feel to them, and they've always done this, and they kind of shifted at some point. There's about the third album into kind of like a more 80s AOR feel. You know, there was stuff that would sound kind of like Fleetwood Mac or Duran Duran even at times. and But somehow still just kind of have this powerful kind of punch to it. Great, you know, keyboard work, everything. And and the thing that always that I always love the most about it is that Bjorn from Soulwork has for the past 20 years been one of my favorite heavy metal singers. I'd put him in my top five, probably, of heavy metal singers of the past 20 years. And he's singing this stuff, and his voice has just only gotten better and better as time goes on. And, I mean, he's always been a melodic singer. He would sing, he sings in solo work. But the stuff that he's singing with Night Fight Orchestra always took a little more. And it was a little more obvious. I mean, a little more, you know, if you weren't as good, it... I'm trying to say, if if he wasn't as good as he was, it would be more obvious. Because the music isn't covering that up, if that makes sense. And Aromantic, I didn't even mention the name of that. Aromantic 2 came out this year. Aromantic came out last year. The continuation of that. And, you know, every single album title plays into the theme of the Night Flight Orchestra. Into the, you know, the night the flight, all that, that feel. You had Internal Affairs, Skyline Whispers, Amber Galactic, Sometimes the World Ain't Enough, Aromantic. All the album covers, everything is in the same concept, which is another cool thing that this band does. I would pay anything to see this band live, but I don't know that that opportunity is ever going to come. They haven't played that many shows, and I don't know if they've ever even played in America. But man, this album, Burn For Me, Chardonnay Nights, Amber Through a Window, White Jeans are just a few of the standout tracks here. If you could turn on the radio on a classic rock channel and then flip it to like an 80s rock channel and then flip it to an 80s pop channel and then flip it to a 70s pop channel. Like say you're listening to Sirius and you're listening to 60s on 6, 70s on 7. 80s on 8, 90s on 9, well, not 90s on 9, classic rewind, classic vinyl. And then you just clump all that together, put it in a fucking blender, and then pour it on your head. You'd get the Night Flight Orchestra. So check this shit out. It's fucking amazing. I will champion this band forever. Every one of these albums is excellent. Their next album, I hope and I assume, will be in the top six. Of the year it comes out. Hopefully that's next year. This band keeps putting out music. It just amazes me how much music they put out. The same time Soilwork is putting out albums every other year. And there's two of the members from Soilwork in this band. So they're like non-stop. So anyway. Check it out. Another great album from the Night Flight Orchestra. Alright. We are into the, the top five now. Number five. Is the brand new solo album. From Jerry Cantrell called Brighton. If you had told me that this album would be my top five, I probably would have not believed you. But I love Jerry Cantrell. I absolutely love him. I love Alice in Chains. I like his solo albums. But did I think I would like it better than 
everything but four of their albums of the year? Probably not. Because his solo albums are cool, but I don't go back to him a whole lot. I like him. This, to me, just from the get-go, blew me away. More than any other album this year, I believe. From a guy that I absolutely love, and somehow I was surprised at how much I absolutely love this album. Jerry Cantrell has always obviously been known for creating music that is very dark. I'm not saying that it's like evil and heavy as hell. It's just dark, obviously minded music, which is what Alice in Chains was. But somehow there was always a beauty in it. Even when you watch, like, say they're MTV Unplugged. When you watch it, not just listen to it, and you see how bad Lane Staley looked. And everybody talks about now about how bad off he was at that point. But yet, that's still one of the greatest unplugs, if not the greatest unplug you'll ever see. That's what this band is, and that's what they've always done. And in Jerry Cantrell, with his solo albums, was always a little bit more... I'd, I'd say shifted a little bit more towards standard rock than the Alice in Chains kind of grungy feel. But with this one, I think that the album title is very appropriate, Brighton. Because while this still sounds like Jerry Cantrell, while you're listening to it, you know what you're listening to. You know who you're listening to. And the music still sounds dark at times, but it's almost as if here we are, 30 years, over 30 years after Alice in Chains debuted, and our, is Jerry Cantrell happier? Obviously, I'm sure he's happier now, or in a happier place, <laughs> but you hear it in the music. And I'm not saying these lyrics are all like, happy, happy, joy, joy, let's plant a fucking flower, you know, but there is there is more beauty in it than you would expect, I think, when it comes to that kind of thing. and. The excuse me, the title track was the first single, Brighton, which is excellent. The two best songs on the album, in my opinion, are Prism of Doubt and Black Hearts and Evil Done, tracks three and four. I would put them both in my top 21 of 21 when it comes to songs, I believe. Two excellent songs, and I mean, this whole album I listened to, I think I said earlier, when it came to Limp Bizkit, I think this might be the only album I probably listened to more after it came out at the end of the year here, because this came out in right at the beginning of November. And when it came out, I was actually in Florida. I had worked a festival, and then I went to an island in Florida off the coast of Tampa called Anna Marie Island, and put this album on when I got in a rental car. And I don't think I took it out. Well, no. Several times, and then I played Mastodon, because it had also came out that, like, a few days before. So anyway, we'll get to that in a second. But Jerry Cantrell, Brighton, unbelievable. I can't say enough good things. I'm shocked at how fucking great this is, which I shouldn't be, because it's fucking Jerry Cantrell. Check this out if you passed it by this year. And you like yourself some Jerry Cantrell. You should dig this. Number four. The Dead Daisies. Holy Ground. 
The Dead Daisies have had several albums over the past many years. Actually, in what their first album wasn't really that long ago. I think it was like 20... Here, let me pull this up and see. Yeah, 2013. So less than 10 years. And they put out three, four... This is their fifth studio album. They had a live album. And a covers album. But... This is the first album to feature Glenn Hughes. Now, when the Dead Daisy started, they announced, they said we are going to be, uh, I forgot what the word is. I should have looked that up. There's a word they use, right? Like a community type band. But I forgot, I forgot what the word is. Hopefully you know what I mean. They announced they were going to be a band that wasn't, basically a band that wasn't ever solid of like, these are our members and, you know, we're going to stick together till the day we die. It's just like a, a revolving kind of door, like, because they were members of Guns N' Roses and all kinds of shit in this band that like when they had something going on, they're like, well, I've got to go do this because this pays the bills, basically. So there's been tons of changes in just the past eight years, nine years since this band debuted. But John Karabi took over the vocals on a full-time basis with the second album. And he was in there up until 2019. And when it was announced that he was gone, I was like, you cannot replace John Karabi. And I know a lot of people be like, what? No, but to me personally, John Karabi is one of my favorite vocalists of all time. I've said that before. Had the honor of having him on this podcast. In late 2020, actually, when he came to Tulsa. And we talked a lot about this, actually, so check that one out if you have not. But I'm like, you cannot replace John Krabby. And then they announced Glenn Hughes is replacing John Krabby. And I'm like, okay, I'll eat my words on this. This is probably the only person that you could have said that and I would have been cool with. Because Glenn Hughes is on the Mount Rushmore of rock and roll singers, in my opinion. There's not four other people you can name that should be on there above him in one of those spots. So, Glenn Hughes, vocals and bass, now for the Dead Daisies. Doug Aldrich is also in the band now on guitar. So you've got yourself one hell of a core there with the guitars, vocals, and bass of those two men together. Doug Aldrich left Whitesnake here two or three years ago. And he'd been in the band full-time for like over a decade. And, man, this album by the Dead Daisies, Holy Ground, is just so good because Glenn Hughes does not make rock and roll that's not good, first off. And second off, Dead Daisies pretty much do not either. So you put the two together, and you can you can, you can can fill a shift, because you will, obviously, with a new vocalist, but especially someone that is as unique and stands out as much as Glenn Hughes. You really hear his contribution to this, even here from Aldrich as well, but you can kind of hear at times what I bet Glenn Hughes wrote that, you know, as, as opposed to the band writing it as a whole or however, but like the, the title track, Holy Ground, Shake the Memory, like no other baseline, the second track on here is the greatest, I believe, is he, 
either the greatest or the second greatest song of 2021. I'll say what the other one is here in just a couple minutes or a few minutes. But man, this album, Bustle and Flow, My Faith, they do it and Unspoken might be my second favorite song on the album. They do a great cover of 30 Days in the Hole, Righteous Days. And this album, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to even really explain, but if you listen to Glenn Hughes with what he's done in recent years with Black Country Communion or California Breed or even his most recent solo album, you'll get the idea. But it's still different than that because the Dead Daisies as a whole just have that good kind of rock power vibe that doesn't sound forced. It sounds like a, it sounds like something that just kind of flows the whole time and they've always been great about that. It sounds like a band that you should have known for a long time. You know, like they're a classic rock band, even though they're not, if that makes sense. You know, you hear them and it sounds familiar, even though you can't say it sounds like that band or another band, which is greatness, in my opinion. So check it out, The Dead Daisies Holy Ground. Number three, the top three of 2021. Damon Johnson and the Get Ready and their album, Battle Lessons. I guess you could say, technically, this is the debut album from this band named Damon Johnson and the Get Ready. But it's actually the second album from this lineup that Damon Johnson has with him. The album Memoirs of an Uprising came out two or three years ago. And it was still just listed as Damon Johnson, but it's the same trio. But Damon Johnson decided to name the band The Get Ready. And he had left the Black Star Writers. And is focusing strictly on his music. And he's always made great music. It's not like one of those things like, oh, he left the Black Star Writers and the music improved because, you know, Memoirs of an Uprising and everything else he's ever done as a solo effort is great. But he's a great musician, an amazing talent. And when you hear everything he's ever done, it's another thing that I love about Damon Johnson is that he has a very distinguished distinguishable voice. But when you think of the stuff he's known for, like Brother Kane, or being the guitarist for Alice Cooper, or being the guitarist of the Black Star Writers, or, you know, what he's done solo, or Slave to the System, every act that he's been a part of does not sound similar to another one that he's been a part of. I mean, I guess you could say that about Black Star Writers and Thin Lizzy, but that's kind of obvious because it was the same band members. I probably should have, for this part of this episode, I probably should have cut and pasted what me and Jason said when this album came out back early in the year. It came out in February. And when it came out, we kind of went on like this 10-minute tirade about how amazing it was. And, you know, much to our delight, I believe Damon Johnson actually listened to it because the next time we had him on the podcast, he brought up what we talked about and how much he appreciated it, which was very cool for us to hear because we were both longtime fans of Damon Johnson, obviously. 
since that first Brother Kane album came out. And this album, start to finish. It's another one of those, let me look here, pull this back up. 33 minutes, nine tracks. So you get in and you get out. And so there's not room for filler. And there's definitely not filler here. And he hits everything. You know. Gets a little bit heavier. Gets a little bit more melodic. Gets the ballad in there with Love Is All You Left Behind. He's got the upbeat kind of, you know, just like good rocking, like can't clap any louder. He's got, you know, the track Battle Lessons, Shadow Country. This whole thing is just good. There's no other way to, to describe Damon Johnson's music, in my opinion, other than just good, perfect rock and roll. You want to put a label on everything? You know, be my guest. I don't know. But this is just good, perfect rock and roll. And the third track on this album, Talk Yourself Into Anything. If it's not the best song of the year, what is? Like No Other by Dead Daisies? Or a song we're about to talk about here in an album or two. But Talk Yourself Into Anything is so fucking good that I can't even explain. I believe I listened to this song more than any other song this year. And Damon actually had a great story about it last time he was on the podcast talking about how, how that song lyrically came together and everything, which is very cool. And speaking of that, Damon's been on this podcast five times now which is an unbelievable thing for me to be able to say. So I can't wait for the fact that in 2022, hopefully he'll be on here a sixth time. But please, please, please check out Battle Lessons by Damon Johnson and the Get Ready if you're not familiar. If you like your rock and roll, you're going to have to love this thing. Number two, Mastodon, Hushed and Grim. Mastodon came out with an album that is an hour and 26 minutes long. Because it's actually not an album, it's actually a double album. It's their first double album. And it was actually written as a tribute to their manager who passed away a couple years ago. Mastodon is one of those bands that does not release music that's not great. That's the right way to put it. But this album to me, just the first time I heard it, I'm like, man, that's fucking great. And then I listened to it again and then again. And I'm like, have I ever listened to an album that's an hour and a half long this much and not wanted to just like, okay, I want to listen to this song again or li listen to these two or three songs. It's like, no, man, I want to listen to this fucking thing because this band there's not many bands that you can say. I kind of said it with 12 Foot Ninja, but this is even, this is different than that because bands like that incorporate different stylings and sounds into everything they do. Mastodon does the same thing, but they do it fully like where you can't say, well, this band is a progressive metal band. Well, this band's a heavy metal band. Well, this band's kind of a doom metal band, kind of sludgy. 
if there's a band out there that does most of those things, they do one of those things a lot and the other things a little. Mastodon somehow does those things all the time and you can't pinpoint them into anything. And they somehow have a band with four guys that can all fucking sing. You can pick any song that any of the guys front and then there are several songs, even on this album, that incorporate vocal harmonies, which you don't hear a lot of in heavy metal. And it's one of those albums that you can't even say what the best song is. And you can't even... I don't, I don't know how to, how to say that right. But there's so many songs on here, like the first song, Pain With An Anchor... The song Tear Drinker, Pushing the Tides. Man, let me look down the list. There's not a ton of songs because, you know, their songs are long. Had it all. There's actually 15, 15 songs on this. But all these tracks are 100% Mastodon, but at the same time, 100% different from each other. And that's what this band has always been great at. But this album, to me, took it to a little bit of another level. Maybe that's because it's longer than any album they've ever done. Maybe that's what took it to another level of hearing that even more, obviously. I don't know. But Mastodon is one of those bands like, you know, maybe years, a few years from now, I'll be talking about Gojira in the same way. Because I'll make an, a statement right here is that I kind of used to feel the same way about Mastodon as I do about Gojira, is that they're great, but I don't. I don't get it the same way a lot of people do, I guess. Like, I just listen to them like, ah, it's fucking cool, but, you know, I don't think they're the greatest thing ever, like a lot of people do. But then when I really started really listening to Mastodon, I'm like, okay, now I fucking get it. And it's been that way the last couple of albums. And I think this kind of just took it to another level for me somehow. I got the chance to see them live at Rocklahoma this year. And the first time I'd actually ever seen them live was just two or three years ago. In 2019 at the Exit 111 Festival in Tennessee. And they lived up to the hype of being a live band as well. They're just, they're the future. I mean, they've been around for a long fucking time now. But they're the future of heavy metal, in my opinion. I mean, 20 years from now, they'll be the old dudes. They'll be the Metallica. Or the Iron Maiden or whatever. They're still out there packing fucking places and putting out amazing fucking rock and roll. So I can't wait. Well, I can't wait. I don't want it to be 20 years from now too quickly, but I'm just saying I can't wait for the fact that we're going to keep getting new music from this band for the rest of our lives. I sure do believe in hope. And as far as that goes, that can very much play into this next band as well. Number one on the album's the best albums of 2021, in my humble opinion, which means everything, right, is the self-titled album from Dirty Honey. Dirty Honey made their debut, man, I think it was 2018. And they've released an EP in 2019 that was self-titled. And two years later, they released their first full-length album that's self-titled. Which I think is fucking great. 
I hope that their third album is self-titled, just because fuck you. You know, that's just kind of funny to me. I don't know. Not that that really means anything, but... And I thought it was cool that the second album has basically the same cover as the first album, just with a different color scheme. But... And it's kind of funny because, you know, the, a lot of times bands will do that if it's an EP that correlates into the album somehow. But these two don't. They're just two separate releases with totally separate songs. But Anyway, Dirty Honey... I said on this podcast at one point, and I will stand by this statement, is the future of rock and roll 100%. I believe that we're here going into the year 2022. I believe in the year 2052, 30 years from now, people will be talking about this band in the same way they talk about Aerosmith or Led Zeppelin. Do I think they'll be as big as Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin? I don't know. But I think they'll be big enough. And I think that, you know, I saw Dirty Honey earlier this year at the Diamond Ballroom in Oklahoma City. And I've seen him at Rocklahoma um, a couple times on a small stage. And I think 30 years from now, you can tell someone, I saw Dirty Honey in a club in the year 2021. They'll be like, holy shit. The same way that now, if someone tells you, yo, I saw Van Halen and Kiss in 1978 together, or I saw Ted Nugent open for Led Zeppelin in 1975, or I saw Jimi Hendrix, or I saw The Who in the 70s. You know, just stuff that, like, you wish you could have seen. I thoroughly believe this band will be one of those things. And... You know, sure, Greta Van Fleet is the band that's getting the mainstream notice. And I'm not going to go into a Greta Van Fleet tirade, you know, here. They're good musicians, but is their music as good as Dirty Honey? Not a fucking chance. Dirty Honey and Rival Sons are the two bands that will lead this fucking rock and roll into the future. There's going to come a day, I mean, the Rolling Stones are almost there, but even the bands like Metallica or Def Leppard or whoever that have been headliners, Guns N' Roses, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, they're not going to be able to do it much more. Iron Maiden, those kind of bands. You've got bands like Foo Fighters in between that'll carry this for a while, but you've got to have someone else step in there. And I thoroughly believe that if Dirty Honey and the Rival Sons keep on the track they're on, they're going to be the bands that carry rock and roll into the future. And you listen to this album from start to finish, This is 100%, like I just said about Damon Johnson. It's just fucking rock and roll. And I know they get a lot of comparisons to the Black Crows. And I can hear that musically. But you don't hear it vocally. And you don't hear it musically all the time. That's the thing that separates them from Greta Van Fleet, which is where you hear the comparison to Led Zeppelin 90% of the time. Musically, vocally, everything. But with Dirty Honey, you get like this great kind of southern hard rock feel with very melodic vocals. It's like if, you know, if you took something like the Black Crows and put like an 80s rock singer on top of it, there's times when I thought he sounded like Mark Slaughter, you know, but like, that's neither here nor there. What is here or there is that they are taking fucking rock and roll and putting fucking hard rock vocals on top of this and just making it into 
something that feels good, if that's the best way to put it. Feel good rock and roll. The kind of music that you would fucking get in a convertible in California at one in the morning in the summer and drive through the desert like you would in 1982 listening to Journey. I think you would do now with Dirty Honey. Listening to California Dreamin'. Listening to The Wire. Listening to Tied Up. Listening to Gypsy, the greatest song of 2021. Listening to Another Last Time. Hey, I could relate to that fucking song, but that's another story for another day. Please. If you like rock and roll, and you haven't heard Dirty Honey's self-titled album, if you haven't heard Damon Johnson's album Battle Lessons, if you haven't heard the Night Flight Orchestra album, if you haven't heard Danko Jones' new album, if you haven't heard the new Inglorious album, the new Smith & Cotson album. These albums are fucking pure rock and roll. And Dirty Honey is the future of rock and roll. I'll say it one more time. Alright, enough of that. 21 albums of 2021. There you go. One more time. Limp Biscuit, Resistant Bite, Robin McCauley, Void Vader, Mammoth WVH, Haunt, the Pretty Reckless, 12-Foot Ninja, Volbeat, Iron Maiden, Smith & Cotson, Evergrey, Danko Jones, Tremonti, Inglorious, the Night Flight Orchestra, and the Top 5, Jerry Cantrell, the Dead Daisies, Damon Johnson and the Get Ready, Mastodon, and Dirty Honey. All right, I'm sure many of you do not agree, but hey, that's the beauty of doing shit like this. Start a podcast and tell me what you think, or comment about how bad you think my list is, because that's what social media is for, for people to bitch and moan about shit that doesn't matter, right? But rock and roll, it does matter. And looking into next year, I didn't even write down what I'm looking forward to. I usually do that, too. I can't tell you one thing for sure. When it comes to heavy metal... I'm definitely looking forward to new Anthrax. They're one of my favorite bands ever, and they've said they've got a new album coming next year. So I can promise you, I'm looking forward to new Anthrax and new Megadeth. Maybe we'll get new Metallica, but who knows. But what I am definitely looking forward to when it comes to heavy metal is the Halo effect. They've got a single out you can check out. And if that's any indication, man, this album should be on the list next year. The Halo effect features all former members of In Flames. And it is fucking balls out. So, can't wait for that. Guns N' Roses has an EP coming out in February. And they are supposedly working on a full album. Who knows if we'll get that in 2022. It'd be cool if we do. And I know that there's... Can't, I think Alter Bridge is supposed to have an album. I know Slash has a new album coming. Speaking of Alter Bridge, with Miles Kennedy. And speaking of Guns N' Roses as well. But... King's X, I believe, is supposed to have a new album as well. So, there's a lot of great stuff to look forward to. And we'll be talking about it all soon again. Most recently on this podcast, last week we had Paige Hamilton of Helmet. And he was on here once before. That was very cool. To have him back. We also had on Danko Jones in recent months. Had on... Whoa. Kevin Martin of Candlebox. This year also saw... Man, yeah, this is the uh, the best of 
2021, and I didn't really mention what the best, I kind of did up front with, with D. Snyder, I guess. But I didn't mention what the best guests are. I guess I don't really ever do that because it's like I'm saying someone else is better than someone else. But no, just like the highlights as far as big names that I was surprised, you know, like D. Snyder was really cool. But Joe Cotella of Dead was back on here recently. We just had on In Theory again recently. Um, Jim Wilson came on here a couple months ago to talk about our loss of Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones. Man, we also obviously saw Jason's final episode a few months ago. Tim Ripper Owens was on here. Diamond Row of Tetrarch. D. Snyder, like I said. Damon Johnson for the fifth time. Josh Todd of Buck Cherry was on here earlier this year. Dusty Grant came back. Eric Kluber came back. Robert Mason of Warrant and The End Machine and Lynch Mob was on here. Jordan Griffin of Them Evils. Trevor Church from Haunt was on here again. We had on, I just talked about Dirty Honey. We had on two of the guys from Dirty Honey earlier in the year. We had on Bound by Years. Had on Wayne Lozenak of Hate Breed. Fred Leclerc of Creator and formerly of Dragon Force. Brian Wheat of Tesla was on here. We kicked off the year with our good friend Eric Bass. Rest in peace. We lost him recently. I mentioned that before, but we'll be going into that in much, much more detail. Maybe the next episode. Next episode or two. I believe that would be fitting. The first episode of 2021 in January was episode 308 with Eric Bass. So I think it would be fitting if the first episode of 2022 was about Eric Bass. So that will be coming soon, and that will feature Jason making his return, as well as Josh Baker and Eric Reese as well. So be on the lookout for that. But anyway, 2021, another great year of music. What are your favorites? Post them in the comments of wherever you're listening to this. Wherever you're listening, follow, subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. TheThunderUnderground.com. You can listen to everything there. You can also listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. Follow us on all the social medias. You can find them on that website as well. If it's your first time listening, we had all those guys I just mentioned. We also had on Glenn Hughes of the Dead Daisies last year. We had on Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio before. We had on Gene Simmons of Kiss. Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses. David Elfson of Megadeth. Formerly of Megadeth, excuse me. Uh, Joey Allen and Robert Mason of Warrant. Reed Mullen. Mike Dean of Corrosion Conformity. Kenny Hickey of Typo Negative. Tommy Victor of Prong. Man, the list is super long. Check it all out. Dig back through there. All right. Once again, huge thank you. DB Concerts, Med Farm, Sunset Tattoo, and Hell Hot Hot Sauce. And until next year. Thunder Underground, y'all.